Welcome to Catch Outdoors, presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network at waypointtv.com. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis. This week's episode is number 59. What's around you? Or do some fisher folks have a sixth sense? Yes, the uh, the intro got shorter. <laughs> I did it on purpose. Uh, you know, it's time to switch things around. It's been a year and so many weeks. This is number, what, 59? Yeah, I mean, geez. Anyway, I, you know, you, you, I'm the creator, <laughs> I think. <laughs> anyway, before we get to the main topic, um, just a couple things. I revamped the website uh, slash blog site. It's one and the same, actually. If you go to catchoutdoors.com, it's a, it's a quote, it's, it's a website blog. That's technically what it's called. So I'm able to blog on it if I want to. I don't really do that anymore. Uh, maybe I should, I don't know, but, uh, I think the podcast is enough for right now and I'm working on YouTube as well. So we'll see how all that goes. But anyway, I revamped the website. So go to catchoutdoors.com. I've added both of my earlier books, uh, once again, uh, for purchase with discounts for the holidays. The discounts also include shipping. Um, these copies are um, they're signed and are from the first edition printing. So they look beautiful. They're on quality paper. Uh, so that's um, what I know about fishing Southwest Florida and Bridge to Paradise. I've also added a coming soon for the new book, uh, Take a Kid Fish and an Adult's Guide for Introducing Youngsters to the World of Angling. Looking like they'll be available by the holidays, maybe, I hope, I think, gosh, I don't know. Again, uh, our end of it's pretty much done. It's now up to the paper people to uh, get the printing thing going. So, But I'm hoping by Christmas. So please check out the website at catchyououtdoors.com. That's catchyououtdoors.com. Thank you so much. Fishing this past week. I had the best day doing the kayak thing I have ever had. And that's saying something because I've done the kayak thing now for over a year and a half. I think that's when I was looking back. I had to, I have to work on getting the kayak now licensed for the motor that I bought the little Bixby. So I've got to go through the hoops now, you know, for the state of Florida. And I uh, went back to find the purchase thing. And it looks like it was in February of 21, March of 21, something like that. So over a year now that I've been playing with this thing. Um. But I had the best day ever. I really did. I fished near the house again on Largo Sound. I, I am madly in love with Largo Sound because it's it reminds me of Estero Bay, which I spent years on as a fishing guide. So it, it's very similar. It has broad open flats, and then it has drop-offs and cuts and great little mangrove islands and mangrove cuts, just everything that you could ever really want if you're a kayaker. And it's a no-motor zone, so it's it's perfect. Which reminds me, when I go back into the no-motor zone, I have to raise my little Bixby up out of the water. I basically pedal all that. Then once I get back out to the channel area, I can drop the little motor in and go home. So um, I'm obeying the rules. I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. So um, I left Penny Camp in the morning. Uh, that was Tuesday, the day last week's podcast day, uh, and headed west to a group of islands that I've been wanting to explore. Um, and man, oh man, that was the place. Let's just put it that way. I I kind of had a feeling about it, which is what we're going to talk about here on the. That's the topic today about having those those notions, those feelings. Um, and and how do they happen? You know that kind of stuff. But lots of good moving water there. Um, it was fairly low water going to high that day. It was an inbound tide. Um, wait, 
that's not right. It was high. It was high falling to a low. Duh. Um, so I was able to kind of work the bushes as the water came out, as the channel water sort of just sort of pulled away from the island, which, of course, pulls fish away. I also found uh, several islands that looked like islands in uh, Estero Bay. Um, they were they had racetracks around them. Is what we we the guides used to call that. The there are a lot of islands in Estero, in the Estero Bay area, that have a sandy uh, break all the way around the island, and then it turns into grass or bottom or marl or whatever it might be. Um, in the Keys. The normal island is grass right up to the roots. Uh, you just don't see much of a, a, a break from the grass itself, which makes casting and retrieving very interesting. You really have to kind of, uh, well, you, you gotta you gotta build your 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 tackle in a way to get around that. But uh, but the the islands that I got up to have the racetracks around them, and I got my first snook finally in that bay. Everybody told me oh, there's snook in there, and I'm like, you know, of course they don't. They don't tell you much, but who does? Fishermen are secretive. Uh, but I got in there, and uh, oh, it wasn't three cast. Uh, soft plastic, artificial on a um, little jig head. Uh, I forget what I was. Oh, gulp. I was using gulp. Um, the gulp swimming mullet, they call it, in white. And tossed it up underneath the bushes, and kapow. That sucker got nailed. Got a beautiful trout, a trout right? Beautiful snook. Um I'm gonna. I didn't measure it. 24. I'm guessing 24 inches. wasn't legal, but it was a struggle and it was fun, especially in a kayak. Um, I also got into a whole pile of mangrove snapper in that area. I mean, they were. Not only was I getting a mangrove, which were around 11 or 12 inches each, they were being followed by others. And then I had the fish of the day uh, fishing in that same area. I pulled a 21 inch mangrove snapper out of there, weighed four pounds. You'd have to see it to believe it when I hooked it. And got it close to the kayak. I thought, well, I got a redfish because the water, by the way, is really clear in the sound, in Largo Sound. And so uh, I, the fish is, is fighting up and down, running at the mangroves, acting crazy, very, very much like a large redfish. And I thought, well, this is great. I got it right to the right to the boat, and I looked down at it, and it's like, oh, I got a beautiful red. And then it rolled on its side with no spot on the tail, and broad body and I went oh my gosh that's a mangrove snapper I could not believe it um so yes he will be dinner um I'll put back reds and I put back snook and I do a lot of that kind of stuff but I have a, I have a problem with resisting uh mangrove snapper on the dinner table pretty much like yellowtail snapper so but anyway it was very impressive and I had a wonderful day not to mention 18 gazillion barracuda of all different sizes this was everything from pencils <laughs> that's what I call the small ones that are like 10, 12 inches long, little pencils, up to, oh, heck, one of them had to be 30. Uh, he, I mean, he really gave me a run for the money. Um, the scary ones, you know, when they get close to the boat, you know, I don't know if I want to stick my hand down there by that one. So anyway, it was really great. I used all artificials, um, I primarily uh, just putting uh, uh, gulp. So I did use some DOAs. They worked. I used some... Uh, uh, gulp shrimp, the three-inch uh, new pennies, almost all of them on a jig head. Uh, nothing rigged with like an offset hook or anything like that. I think next week I'm going to try some of that. I've got a friend here from out of town. Uh, my buddy Gary's down from Kentucky, so we're going to be doing some fishing. We're going offshore Wednesday. We have weather building out in the Atlantic. If you haven't seen it, you will by the time you hear this podcast. Um, I'm recording this on Saturday. It uh, looks like 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there's a tropical blow, believe it or not, a late season blow is going to going to wind up in the Atlantic right off of the Miami Fort Lauderdale area. Oh joy. Oh fun. <laughs> well, you know, hurricane season lasts till November the 30th. I've always told people that it ain't over till it's over. So, uh we're still getting a lot of rain. We are still getting hot warm day. No, they're hot days. We're getting days close to 90. Um, this is not your typical early November or late October. Uh, we had one nice break and then it just, I don't know. It just, I don't know. Hey, it's Florida and I'm not living anywhere else. I can tell you that for sure. So this leads me to the topic today. Um, basically, uh, what's around you is, is what I titled it. Uh, do some anglers have a sixth sense? Yeah. I, I, there's no doubt about it. There are certain anglers that I have followed over the year. These these fisher persons or fishermen are really something else. Uh, Kevin Van Dam, for example, in the bass fishing world, uh, he wins consistently and he catches bass to win consistently, and he does it in various different uh, impoundments, lots of different lakes. The bass the bass masters folk travel. They don't they don't get to fish the same water over and over again like. A fishing guide in Florida does, and, and like a, a semi-professional like myself does. I'm retired now, so I get to. I'm going to call myself semi-professional now. Um, I, I like um, the idea that that I can work the same water over and over again until I figure it out uh, is is pretty cool. But this the sixth sense thing, it's I think it's a combination of stuff. First of all, it's it's time on water, what, what we what I call tow. Um, but it's also a um, uh, repetitiveness of working an area over and over again. I have fished with many, many people that will come up to a mangrove area that I haven't fished before. You know, usually it's uh, friends, you know, two, three, nine flies guys will take me down into the 10,000 islands fishing like that, stuff like that, where they, you know, go right off that point right there. Just just put the fly right there or put the lure right right on that corner right there. There should be one there and bang, there is one there. You know, there's a snook or, or small tarpon or whatever we're hunting for. Um, that is, that's repetitiveness. That is uh, ingrained in you and... It does come with time, and again, that gets to tote, uh, time on water. Um, the more you fish an area, the quicker you learn. But then there are the guys like the Kevin Van Dams of the world and a lot of saltwater, great saltwater anglers too, that will go to a new area and pull the same same trick. You know, they just, they just know it. And I think it has to do, um, I, I'll call it a sixth sense, but I think it has more to do with an awareness of what's going on around you, which is, the title, you know, what's around you of the, uh, of the podcast today. Um, and what I mean by that, it's, it's like each and every angler, no matter where they are, they just need to be more aware of their surroundings. There's, there's lots of little signs that lead to big catches. When I found the racetrack around the Island the other day, I knew deep down inside, I was in the right place. It was just one of those moments when I'm looking at this going, this is going to be rich. And it was, uh, because I've seen it before, and I know what it looks like, and I know how it produces small bits of bait because they like to cruise the edge of those 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 uh, those little water uh, those those race tracks as we call them. They like to cruise that little area between the dirt and the grass, just that edge. And when I saw that, and I saw a whole mess of little bait, those little uh, rain bait, you know, the ones that come spraying out of the water when something's underneath them, birds. 
birds hanging in the mangroves, just all those tiny little signs. That that's what gets you going. That's what sets you off. And, I, and I, I'm I'm not gonna sit here and brag and say, "Oh, I got a sixth sense. I can figure." No, that's not how it works. It's more observation, paying attention to what's going on around you. That's what makes the that's what makes it work. I'll get more in depth in this in a minute. But o- the overall scheme of things is you're watching nature, birds, activity in the water. You're using your eyes more than anything else. You're using your eyes. Um, you are watching for other wildlife in the water, dolphins, manatees, things like that. Um, you may have a close encounter with a shark passing by. There's a reason the shark's on that flat. He's, he's constantly hungry. <laughs> it's what he does for a living. <laughs> he eats fish <laughs> and anything else that gets in the way. Um, the birds, you know, you watch the birds on the edge of mangroves. You know, I pulled into an area where all these cormorants were just relaxing. There must have been 30 of them piled up on this um, this white mangrove tree out of the water up up along the bank. And they were just, I looked at it, I was like, golly, look at all those cormorants. Why are they right here? They're resting. I got there around 8.30 in the morning. They had already been feeding from sunup. Sunup was around 7 that morning. So they'd been feeding for an hour and a half. They're in there resting. They're drying their wings. So you know somewhere close they were working before I got there. So little details like that is, is what you're that's what you're trying to piece together and put together as you as you go fishing. Um, and there there are a lot of other things too, and and we'll, I'm going to talk about them. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna spill the beans as they say. Well, somewhat. I'm gonna set you in the right direction. Let's put it that way. Everyone talks about tackle, including me. Hooks, lines, lures everything you can imagine to hopefully make your catching better. But if you don't know where to look for fish, none of that matters. Nope, not one bit. It doesn't matter how fancy that rod is or that reel or the best line you've got or, you know, you went out and spent $400 on a reel. If you don't know where the fish are, who cares? And that's, you know, this goes way back. Where I always say this, tackle doesn't matter as much as you think it does. It's more about where the fish are. Then you can worry about beefing up your tackle or adjusting tackle to catch the fish that are there. But if you don't know where they are, it doesn't matter. A thousand or so years ago, think of this, Native Americans caught fish. They caught it without Penn International and DOA lures and mirror lure and St. Croix rods. They, they didn't need any of that. How? Did they do it with only simple hooks made of bone? Did they? And nets and fishing line made from palm fronds. Yeah, think about that. You got a serious advantage as a modern day angler, but they had something you don't have. They had knowledge of where the fish are because they lived it. They ate them. That was their sole food. Talking about the Calusa Indians, the one I'm most experienced experienced with, the Calusa's capital. Their their range was centered in where I used to fish near Estero Bay. Uh, Mound Key was considered the the uh, what do you call it? The capital. The capital of uh, of the Calusa. Uh, nation. So it's always fascinating to me when you start getting into these tackle discussions and and all this this tactics and stuff with tackle, which is cool. It's like going to ICAST. I love going to ICAST, the international show of you know tackle. It's like <laughs> you get to see everything there is. You get to see all the modern stuff and the latest and greatest. And oh my gosh, it's it's a ton of fun. I'm not going to kid you. But the reality is, the Native Americans, the Native Calusa Indians of um, of the west coast of Florida, primarily use nothing but bone for hooks and palm for making lines, ropes, nets, that kind of stuff. But what did they have? Was it a sixth sense? 
I don't think so. Not sure. I bet I bet some of the some of the people in the tribe were better anglers than others. I bet they were. I, I bet they they knew where these fish were going to be, and I bet they knew the travel, and I bet they knew the migrations of the fish, and they and they certainly did it over a three hundred and sixty five day year. They knew what the moon would do. They knew what the sun would do. They knew a lot of things. And that's what you, the angler, have got to accomplish to become successful. That's what gives you the sixth sense. That's what gives you that, what I call personally my notion. When I'm on the water, I've, I've said this out loud, and the guys that fish with me will stop and go, oh, you got a notion? Do you really? Then we should probably go check out the spot that you think is going to perform today. And and invariably, I'm not patting my, well, I'll pat myself on the back. Yeah, it does. Nine times out of ten, it produces fish because of repetition, because I've been there over and over again, and I know the combination, the secret combination that makes that one spot work for about 45 minutes to an hour. And, and that's what you need to work on as an angler. So let's start with the really, really easy stuff. Um, your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. A good pair of sunglasses. I'm going to say that right now because it popped into my head a few minutes ago that I need to mention this. A good pair of polarized sunglasses will help you tremendously in watching water. Okay. And watching water is like the name of the game. I'm going to get into all the parts and the pieces of this, but the most important thing you can do on the water is watch water. Watch the surface. Watch what's right below the surface. Watch activity under the water. And you can't do that if you don't have a pair of sunglasses on the water. The glare is just too bad. You're not going to cut through that glare. And the more you can see, the better off you are. Now, there are days when you can't. There's days when it's cloudy, you know, overcast. No matter how good your glasses are, no matter how much you amber them up, I say that as a reason, the amber glasses work better on cloudy days than, say, a blue-green lens or a or, uh, you know, yeah, a standard uh, dark lens. <laughs> Those don't work at all. Go with something that's colored. Typically, um, in the sunglasses, blue lenses are used for offshore and green are used for inshore. And then green mixed with the, with the type of amber are the absolute best for inshore. So just so you know. So if you see a guy wearing a pair of blue reflective sunglasses, there's a really good chance he's an offshore fisherman. If you see somebody wearing a green uh, mirrored glass or an amber mirrored glass with green mixed, they're probably an inshore shallow water fisherman. See, there you go. That's observation. That's observation. That's what that is. Good pair of sunglasses. All right, so you get out on the water. So the first thing you're going to do is is look around you and and just witness. There, for example, I'll get into an area and I'll look at the water and it's, and it's like, um, I don't know, there's something wrong right off the bat. The first thing I notice is a lack of activity. In the water itself, are, is there bait moving around? Do you see any kind of splashes on the water? Do you see any swirls from underwater? Do you see the rain bait I mentioned before? Rain bait's little tiny, typically a small like anchovy, no bigger than the end of your finger. They're tiny, they're silvery, and they'll shower out of the water when they're startled. Thus, we called them rain bait. That was a guide term because it looks like a little rainstorm going off. Are there dimples on the water? Do you see little dimpling on the water? Do you see any kind of bubbling up at all? If not, you're in the wrong spot. So there's lesson number one. Pretty simple. If you go into an area and the water seems too still, it's not moving enough, there's no sheet flow on the water, and you can tell that very easily by 
dead things lying on the surface like leaves, leaves, small branches. Uh, this time of year down here in the Keys, we have pollen coming off of the trees. I believe it's probably coming off the palms. We don't have a lot of pine down here, so I'm pretty sure it's off the palm trees. But So there's um, when I go out kayaking over the last several weeks, there's a sheet of yellow. I don't want to fish that. If I roll into an area and the sheet of yellow is parked right up against the mangrove in that area, I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna bother. Everything there is too still. I want the water to be moving. I want it to be at least agitated somewhat, not severely, not like with wind, but just just in some sort of motion for that to get my interest. Watch little pieces of seaweed, things like that. Uh, another thing that I like to watch for are what I call the tide lines. Uh, in the state of Florida, unlike lakes, we have tides. And our offshore water is, uh, and near shore water, our water, uh, and our back bay waters are affected by tides, up and down motion of the water. As the water moves in and out, it will, it will leave tide lines. And what those are is where the low tide and the high tide meet. So as the water, the water fills up in the bay, for example, it goes back into the bushes and then eventually the water goes the other way and pulls out of the bushes. What does it pull with it? Debris, leaves, things like that. And eventually that forms a line. You can actually see it. It's a visible line of debris. It works really well offshore. I mean, offshore anglers, they key on that stuff, especially here in the Keys. You know, if you've, if you've got any kind of grass line or weed line out there, that's what you're going to fish. That's where the fish like to hang out. Why? Because that's where the bait likes to hide. The bait likes to hang out in the grass, so the big fish hang out at the edge of the grass and wait for a bait to make a mistake. Guess what? Same exact thing happens in the backcountry. No different whatsoever. They like to hang on those weed lines. So when you find one, work it. Don't ignore it. That's part of that observation thing that you really, really need to do to make sure you're going to catch fish. Know your tides. Water coming up, water going down. Doesn't matter to me which way it's going, but it's got to be doing something. <laughs> I don't really care if it's going in or out. I long ago dropped this whole notion of, you have to have an inbound tide to catch fish. That's bull. And you don't need an outbound tide to catch them either. That's also bull. What you really, really need is moving water. And then you adjust to the places that you've discovered fish on those tides. I'm not saying that every area works with an outbound and an inbound. It doesn't. But there are a lot of areas where the inbound works beautifully. And there are a lot of areas where the outbound works beautifully. And you really need to adjust to those. Don't always think that you've got to go out on low tide and fish to high. I had the most spectacular day the other day, as I've already mentioned, on a falling tide. It was fantastic. So that kind of nullifies that whole idea. So know your tides. Know what to expect for your area before you even hit the water. Don't spend a lot of time plotting and planning overnight either. Don't, don't lie in the bed. Don't look at charts. Don't, don't make all these plans at night and then go out fishing in the morning and it all gets <laughs> thrown in the trash. Go out, witness, observe. Check around you. What's the tide doing right now? What's the wind doing? What's the temperature this morning? Is it drizzling? Is it dry? Is the sun going to come up with no clouds? Is there going to be a cloud cover? All those things play a part. So don't worry too much about other than your location. Oh, I'm going to go fish here tomorrow. I want to go try that area tomorrow. Then when you get there, you can start plotting and planning on what you're going to do and how you're going to approach it. Birds. Got to talk about birds. Birds are crazy important. My favorite bird in the whole world is an osprey. Yeah, I like frigate birds too. Frigate birds are great. Frigate birds, if you don't know what they are, giant uh, gliding black birds with kind of an offset wing. 
don't know if that's the word for it, swept back wings better, a forked tail, that gives them away, and they're large, but they can soar forever. They hardly ever flap when they're uh, looking for food. They're scavengers. They typically pick up the stuff that big fish either chomp and miss parts and pieces, uh, or a big fish like a tarpon or a shark goes through a school of fish and leaves the dead. Um, that's that's what frigate birds are all about. So they're a sure signal that something's going on down below you. Although, they'll also show you where every dolphin in the world is, too. I'm talking about flipper dolphin, not dolphin fish. So, um, you know, you got to be aware of that. But birds are important. I love ospreys. Ospreys, um, they love to work the open flats. That's one of their favorite things. Uh, they'll work in typically up to three to four feet of water. Um, they like it shallow because they are a diving, hunting hawk style bird so when they dive they dive toward water and at the last second they basically turn the lower body and put talons out to hit whatever they're after it's pretty remarkable if you ever watch one in slow motion it's amazing um they love trout sea trout ladyfish and almost anything else they'll eat puffers they'll they'll go whatever whatever's near the surface mullet things like that but the reason i like them is they will work a flat when a flat is active they're, they're a sure sign that something's going on. If you come around a corner and you're either boating, kayaking, whatever, and you see an osprey in the air doing what I call helicoptering, which is where they, they'll go stationary. They will literally flap their wings and stay in one place watching the water. When they start doing that, there are fish there in front of you, plain and simple. Don't know what they are. Could be a little puffer. Could be a ladyfish. Could be an aggravating catfish. <laughs> but there's going to be fish there. There's no doubt about it. So I love it when I see osprey. I know that when they're working something that there are fish in the area. And if there's little fish, there's typically big fish. And so that's the way it works in Florida. I, you know, Just pay attention to those birds. Diving pelicans along the shorelines. Pelicans dive for bait. They try to make it as easy on themselves as possible. They don't typically dive in real deep water unless the bait is surface bound. Most of the time they like to do like the shoreline dives along beaches. If they're doing that, that means there's bait there. If there's bait there... There's fish there. It's a pretty simple formula. I've caught more snook that way than you can possibly imagine. Um, So keep an eye out on the birds and watch what they're doing. There are also small gulls. There's terns. There are all kinds of birds that are working out there. And guess what? They're doing it for a living. They're doing it to survive. They will only be in an area working hard if there's food to be had. And if there's not food, you're not going to see birds in the area. I mentioned dolphins, flipper dolphins. It's funny, there are so many anglers that think, oh, no, there's dolphin here. Uh, Oh, no, you can't. No, we don't need porpoises. No, no, no. Uh, Yeah, you do. Yeah, you kind of do. Same thing. They're in it to eat. That's what they do. I I don't remember the count off the top of my head. I think uh, a male dolphin will consume somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 to 30 pounds a day of fish. Now, think about that in your freezer. (laughs) It's like, holy crap, that's a lot of fish. And that's just one dolphin. They work pretty hard. Um, of course, they go after pens and all kinds of small fish, too, that make that up. But, but they're eating machines. So they're going to be in an area where there's food. I know it's aggravating. Sometimes they get in the way. Sometimes they'll chase down your fish when you catch it and you have to move, that kind of stuff. But they are typically a good sign. If they're in an area that you roll into, especially if it's a remote area that you don't fish very often, neither does anybody else. So in other words, they're not being fed, which is against the law. They're not being hand-fed by some clown who's caught a fish and thinks it looks cool to throw a fish at a dolphin. That's bad. 
Um, if they are wild dolphin, if they're if they're out there just on their own, and you see them working like a line of mangrove, or they're working a flat at low tide, you can be damn sure there's going to be fish in that area. And so I really trust them. I love the fact that they're there. And I and yeah, it can be a problem sometimes. I admit, and I've had to move away sometimes where they try to steal the fish off your line. They get kind of aggressive when you start catching fish. So you have to be aware of that. But all this all this plays into one thing. You're observing what Mother Nature's doing. If none of that's in the area and you're not seeing any part of that, then you're obviously in the wrong place because the animals that feed in those areas are, are in the right place. And that's, that's what you've got to work on. You have to work on that. Let's talk about the little bitty birds real quick before I have to go. Um, snowy egrets, tricolor herons, little blue herons, things like that. These are the birds that are... Uh, generally 14, 18 inches tall, uh, nowhere near like a great white or great blue, um, small birds, but they, they are water, what I call, um, mangrove or waterside birds. They, they typically hang out in the mangrove areas and they feed along the edge of mangrove roots, red mangrove roots. Um, they're after the bait that's in there. If you see them, you should fish there. It's, it's very, very simple, especially if you see snowies. Snowies are the white ones, white small bird with yellow feet can't miss them. Um, they will move from spot to spot in mangrove to move from bait spot to bait spot. If there's bait there, you can almost be sure that there's going to be at least snook in the area, sometimes reds and trout, and sometimes small um, resident tarpon. Not the not the big giant tarpon, but the resident tarpon that are usually in Florida year-round. Um, I always love that. I used to keep a mental note. See, that's part of this observation thing I'm talking about, like this sixth sense that appears to be a sixth sense. It's not. It's observation. Go into an area that I've never fished, and I'm, I'm in this case, I'm in the kayak, and I'm paddling along, and I look over, and I see three or four snowy egrets standing on the, just standing out. They're not feeding. They're standing on the lower roots of the mangrove plant. They're just kind of eyeballing things, and right away, my brain goes, I need to check that spot out. And I'll usually go on by because I'm heading somewhere else that I know works at that time. So I go fish. But I will always come back and check the area again. And each time I come through there and you see those little white birds on those mangrove roots, you're like, okay, that holds fish because it holds bait. Ta-da, six cents. <laughs> Not really, but you can attribute to that if you want to. It is simply observation and, of course, repetition. All that comes into play in fishing. If you want to be an excellent angler, you want to be a top angler, and you want to catch something every time you go out, you need to work on observation, you ab the absolute most. And that will help you more than all the tackle in the world. I got some fancy tackle. Yeah, I do. And there's some days when my fancy tackle gets skunked. And that's because I did a bad job of observation a few days earlier or a few trips ago. Yep, you gotta you gotta play the game. You gotta play the game. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell a friend, leave a review. My podcasts are scheduled for each and every Tuesday. Catch you outdoors presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network is available on Waypoint and by many of your favorite podcast providers. Facebook page is Catch you Outdoors. The website is waypointtv.com and catchyoutdoors.com. Until next time. Get outdoors and enjoy.